take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. Alright, coming to you live from the closet and bedroom studios. Your good friend Jesse Camacho. Thanks for joining me, man. Welcome. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's gonna be fun. <laughs> I always I always love checking out people's uh the backgrounds of, of everyone's like makeshift studios in this in this new world of Zoom calls. Um, yes. I, I was in my living room for a while and then now I'm switched back into the bedroom. I'm digging the I know people can't really see it, but uh, the hunting jackets and uh, yes. the cloths. <laughs> There's, yeah, some, yeah, exactly. Some tablecloths, some extra sheets, and some some towels. This is I, I'm lucky that there's there's a decent sized closet in the room. I'm staying with my parents uh, in Montreal right now. All right, and uh, they're, they're they're working a bit out there, so this is the room I get that you know you can't hear anything. Right, um, but yeah, surrounded by uh, surrounded by classic closet stuff. Have you been staying with them uh, like during this like pandemic type situation? Yeah. Uh, so basically, obviously, this really started to hit home uh, of, you know, Canada and, and this side of the world, I guess. It was around early March, I feel like, was when people really started kind of turning their heads towards it here. And uh, around then, I was like, I was like, eh. you know, as an actor, everything kind of shut down. So there wasn't a ton of opportunity for, uh, mm. for work. So I said, oh, you know, maybe I'll come home for a bit. And uh, I kind of hemmed and hawed it until uh, the end of March, early April. And then uh, I came back and I've been here ever since and uh, starting to eye my return to Toronto. I guess it'll depend on a, a bunch of things. Yeah, I saw the uh, the Writers Guild. It was, I think it was last week, actually. The, they put out a tweet saying that they're opening back up and, and mm-hmm. providing guidelines and stuff for for getting uh, back to work for, for the actors and, and everything like that. Have you, do you have any upcoming like, projects that you were kind of like that got put on hold um, before you were, you know, were able to get going on them or things lined up yeah uh i'm i'm super lucky that i'm a part of uh this really fun netflix show called lock and key mm-hmm. and um that uh we we would have been shooting season two i believe uh, around now um I, i'm not exactly sure about that but that was kind of the rumor i'd heard back early in the year i think in like february um so that's obviously been put on some kind of indefinite hold again that's all way above my pay grade yeah. but uh i i would assume that uh that you know will will be delayed until it's safe to go back and and I you know I keep saying this if the worst thing that happens to me during COVID nineteen is you know the the show that I'm lucky enough to be on is delayed a little bit I'll take it it's hardly the worst thing that's that's ever happened so you know yeah it's uh, I'm I'm happy I've got something to go back to when the time's ready and uh, willing to wait however long that needs to be right um and definitely going to get to lock and key and uh and some of, some of your other work i was interested just to kind of get like a little bit of your backstory and, and how you fell into it you've been acting for for quite a while i mean i see some early credits as 2008 and you know you start in um in uh, less than kind as a as a, a younger person is you know acting something like you just always wanted to do um and how did you get started in it at such a young age yeah, I'm a pretty interesting case. Uh, actually, it's it's really in the blood. Both my parents are actors. Yeah. Um, so I kind of came out of the womb uh, wanting to do it. And, you know, growing up, seeing my parents on television, going to visit them on sets. But it, did, it was weird. It did sort of happen organically. Like, they were definitely not pressuring me to follow in, mm. in, that, uh, in, the, in that path because there's just a lot of rejection. And there's, you know, it, it's very feast or famine. 
uh, and while my parents were lucky enough and talented enough that they maintained a, so- a somewhat consistent living, it's not the case a lot of the time. But I mean, I started begging since I was five years old. And then uh, when I was eight, they were like, all right, let's give this a shot. And so I kind of fell into it at eight. And then uh, once, once I was into it, they were extremely supportive. And then my sister as well, my younger sister, Sarah, uh, also, she fought it a lot longer than I did. But mm. after high school, she was like, no, this is what I want to do as well. So she's an actress as well. So yeah, wow. it's, it's kind of a family affair. <laughs> um, so you, your first show, um, kind of, ooh, that's not the one. there we go. Um, when you, you know, you started what you must've been only 14, 15 years old when you were starring in that show. So I guess you could say sort of like that, that childhood actor, what was that process like and in, in juggling, you know, regular high school stuff, you know, dating and, and, and homework and, and growing up with hor- hormones. <laughs> and like well, unfortunately for this. me, dating, yeah, unfortunately for me, dating was never too much of an issue. There, <laughs> there wasn't uh, too much going on, so it wasn't too hard to balance it. Um, but uh, no, um, you know, I, obviously, I, again, I was fortunate enough, not on a consistent level or anything, to, to work um, kind of off and on through, you know, when I was, as I said, eight or nine so by the time I, I booked Less Than Kind, that was, I think I was in my senior year of high school, in, which in Quebec is grade 11. So I think I was a little older than 14. I think I was 16 or 17. Uh, but it was definitely the biggest job I'd ever had in terms of uh, sort of being the focal point of that show. I mean, it grew into this amazing ensemble, but especially at the beginning, Sheldon, my character, was sort of the entry point for the audience. Uh, and it was, uh, it was intimidating. It was scary, but it was so exciting. Uh, and, you know, with me in school, because that is a really great fair question. They're great on sets. They definitely, they've got tutors for you. They keep you apprised of everything. But I sort of had that, looking back on it, it probably wasn't a great attitude of, you know, school was so secondary for me because I knew what I wanted to do. And I kind of knew what I needed to know in order to pursue that, which is really a kind of a silly thing to be because you're not always going to be acting and you might need other jobs. And I've certainly, I've had to do that. So I, I should have been better in school. I was, I was fine. I was okay. Um, but it, it just wasn't a priority for me. It was all about when I was working, you know, I would go and sit with my tutor and do the work necessary and learn what I needed to learn. But my head was always on set and what the next script was going to be, what the next scene was going to be. So I did balance it, but it was, you know, it was definitely skewed in the direction of wanting to work. And I just love being on sets and performing and stuff uh, and right. being part of an ensemble. It's really where I kind of shine. So it was, it was tricky, but uh, again, I would, I, I would find it trickier today because I would put much more uh, emphasis on my schooling than I did at the time. Right. Um, I'm interested, you know, there's the kind of, uh, not the word, stereotypes, not the word, but it's, it's for us as public and, a, and an audience, people who, enter into sort of acting or, or music at a young age, they, they, you know, they, sometimes they fall off the wagon or, or they, you know, have problems later down the road. Mm-hmm. Did, did you, was there like, I don't know, did it change you? Was there like sort of like different kinds of pressures that like were hard to deal with or, or certain things that were, were coming up that, you know, it was hard to separate kind of like trying to be a, a normal human and, and, mm-hmm being on tv yeah that's that's a great question um i mean it was made easier for me because i had my parents that knew the highs and lows of the industry and in a very encouraging and gentle way we're always saying like yeah you've got this show now and you're 
the lead of the show, but you know, that show gets canceled tomorrow. We're all back to square one. Like it's not, you know, especially uh, at the time it's gotten better in Canada. Now there isn't really a star system. There wasn't really at the time. So you could be the lead of a show. And then a week later you're auditioning for one line in a low budget movie. It's just, it's not like that anymore, but that, you know, 12, 13 years ago, that was certainly kind of the case. So, um, you know, I was, I I was lucky to keep my, my parents, you know, again, in a gentle way, kind of kept me humble and, you know, keep your feet on the ground. And not only that, I think in a weird way, being a big kid, I was always an overweight kid. I was always kind of an anxiety ridden kid. Um, sort of because of my self-deprecation almost kept me grounded too. It's like, yeah, you're the lead of the show. Yeah. You've got this going for you, but you know, you're still the chubby kid. You're not the athletic kid, you know? So it kind of, kind of weird in a weird way, kind of balanced itself out. Right. Um, which is kind of bizarre. So it was never too much of an issue for me. Do you think, you know, like you said, yeah, that you, you've always been kind of like overweight or, or um, cast in a certain shadow. Do you find it when you're going to auditions, do you find it harder to maybe break out of being typecasted or, or kind of put into a, a certain box because of the, the way you look? Um, you know, you don't, I mean, you, you think of any show you see, you never really see like certain groups of people as, as you know, the, the lead character and oh, yeah. the envy of everybody, right? They always, the silly person, comic relief, like they always kind of get mm-hmm. tossed to the side. Have you, in your experience and, and with you and other people, is that, has that been a, a challenge for you of trying to find work? Um, yeah, it, it, it's really kind of, again, it is a bit of a double-edged sword in a way. Because, you know, I've got, uh, because, you know, it, it is a community in a way, performers. Mm-hmm. I have a lot of friends that are, you know, beautiful, handsome, like really leading men and women type. Um, and uh, they audition far more than I do. But when they audition, there's a thousand people going up against them that all kind of look exactly like them. Mm-hmm. Whereas when I go in, I go in, you know, maybe about a third or a fourth as much as they do, but it's me and three other guys. So it's like, you know, there is that kind of dichotomy in terms of, you know, my own insecurities and uh, aspirations. Yeah. I mean, I was a big fan of a lot of young adult shows growing up that shows that it's like, oh, well, I'll never be on that show. But I mean, you know, too, I have to own some responsibility for that. You know, that was also, uh, there was laziness on my part. I'm, I'm a lazy guy by nature. Well, if it's not on a set, I'm pretty lazy. So <laughs> it's like, I, I, you know, and I, I wasn't always helping myself. Uh, it's like, who, who knows? If I worked hard enough, maybe I could. So there, but there's a thing too. I don't know if you want to be encouraging that you have to be beautiful to be the lead of something. But at the same time, I wasn't exactly helping myself. So I feel like there's a really healthy ground. And that's why Less Than Kind was such an amazing opportunity for me because it was someone like me who was overweight and not you know, traditionally good looking or however you want to call it, being the focal point of the show. And I think we're seeing that more and more these days is these different voices and perspectives. I think it's great what's going on with diversity in film is amazing that we're getting to see people that we wouldn't expect or cast in certain roles being brought in for stuff. So yeah, it's definitely a thing. Like I, I do want to read for the good looking doctor or the, you know, the rugged bad boy, but it's, you know, at the same time you have to make peace with what you're good at and who you are. And I'm still fighting that a little bit, but Mm. it's getting better. I'm just really grateful for the career I've had, but yeah, of course there are times where I wish that I could, uh, I could be the heartthrob. Well, I think you're, you're quite handsome. So thank you very much. That's just coming from me. Um, Thank you. uh, Was there, was there particular actors that maybe you looked 
up to when you, when you were younger or just getting started in the, in the industry where you're like, I want to be, you know, like uh, Belushi or like John Candy mm-hmm. or, you know, mm-hmm. someone else? Were there, were there people that really stood out for you? Well, you definitely just named two of them. I mean, 100%. Uh, you know, John Candy especially is someone that, uh, that I've really always admired. And, you know, people say that I, I look like him and that to me, you know, I, I, I know I was just talking about traditional everything like that when people tell me i look like john candy to me that's like the ultimate compliment uh those guys even like somebody like chris farley i was a big fan of chris farley um but yeah they're, they're, i mean there's many i mean uh, i'm you know uh, biologically contracted to say my parents uh <laughs> but they, they really were that's actually true um uh, my my father obviously maybe uh, a little bit more because he's also a male actor yeah, i'm much more overweight than he ever was but he's also we call it you know character actor where you're 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 that guy oh i've seen you in ten thousand things my dad's very much that my mom's always been more of a theater performer and she's incredible um but you know for me it's the john c Riley's, uh philip sumer hoffman paul giamatti my dad actually and paul giamatti look very similar uh so yeah really those kind of guys that have had this kind of consistent career they're not not usually the lead uh but they got really nice meaty supporting roles and uh and yeah, they can kind of fit into any mold within their physical limit or whatever you want to call it. Right. Yeah. I love Paul Giamatti and, and yeah. seeing him play all sorts of different roles from, from Adams to, you know, um, straight out of Compton, right? Like, right. Like, so, so versatile and, and you, you just recognize him as, as a great actor. Um, yeah. T- so tell me about this project now. Um, uh, it just came out, I guess, before COVID, Lock and Key. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what's that show about and how'd you get involved with it? Obviously, obviously. But. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it, it kind of came around that way. It's actually a project with a really kind of, uh, I go, I'm trying to think of the right word cause it's not negative, but it's had a turbulent history in terms of television adaptation. Okay. Uh, it's based on these graphic novels by, uh, this incredible author, Joe Hill, who's this amazing, uh, storyteller and horror writer. He uh, also happens to be Stephen King's son. Uh, but he like, yeah, just on his own is just incredible. If I could have a percent of his brain, I would be very lucky. And it was illustrated by this uh, really talented artist, Gabriel Rodriguez. And it's basically the story of this family that uh, after the tragic death of the, the father and the family, they moved to his childhood home, which they realize is kind of haunted by these magical keys that all have these different abilities and they kind of start playing around with them and having fun with them and then realize there's this malignant power in the house, this evil thing that's also trying to get the keys. And it's sort of about that battle. Uh, and I'm, you know, one of uh, the lead girl's friends at school. She's part of this club called the Savini Squad and we're big horror nerds and we kind of get wrapped up in this whole thing. And it's it's a lot of fun. It's very much in the Stranger Things uh, meets, you know, Harry Potter, Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe with like a splash of Riverdale in there. So it's it's a really fun show and it's been really an honor to be a part of. Yeah, it, uh, it's interesting that it, it didn't get the push like, you, you know, showing up on, on trending and uh, mm-hmm. everything that, that got pushed up. What's the reception been like um, from people that, you know, you heard watching it, whether it be social media, in the traditional media, fans, um, has it been quite positive yeah it's been i mean you know it's it's been also you know the stuff that people are tagging me in and and giving me love are usually very very positive so from what i've seen it's been very positive i think people have really kind of embraced it uh i think netflix has a lot of faith in the show which is great um 
so yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's been really, really wonderful. I, I try not to, you know, obsess too much over that kind of thing, but from what, you know, and I, I keep in touch with the cast, but it's been pretty overwhelming uh, from, you know, from our side of it. So um, again, thanking my lucky stars all the time. Mm-hmm. Is there, has there been other things that you've been working on in the, the past little bit? I, I, I was looking through your IMDb credits and uh, mm-hmm. I'll give a shout out to Peter who, who connected us. Cause he also connected me with a few other people, um, Kevin Johnson from Ozark and Chris oh, yeah. Renoni. And I made the mistake of, I've never really, you know, this starting to get in the foray of interviewing actors. And I was like, Oh, you know, I've seen you. I saw on IMDb, you were in this and this. And they're like, Oh yeah, that was like two seconds. And uh, mm-hmm. like, I, I didn't even know I was in it until someone texted me. So I, I'm kind of like learning the, the world of. <laughs> of IMDb is usually credits. pretty reliable. Yeah. So, you know, so I, I don't want to make the mistake of like, Oh, I saw you in this, but you're like, Oh yeah, that was like five seconds of, of me. And I, I didn't know I was in it. Has there been stuff you've been working on um, that have been mm-hmm. out and in, in current projects? I know whether through Zoom or, or anything like that. Um, I mean, obviously, you know, in the last little while, it's been pretty, pretty dead. But uh, uh, I, I had a web series recently come out that was really fun uh, called Night Owl, which was uh, kind of about the graveyard shift at a local grocery store, which we shot, you know, a couple of years ago and just through whatever, you know, post-production and festival runs is just coming out now, which is in a weird way, been very topical because grocery stores have been, you know, the kind of the one thing that was open. So while we didn't shoot the show with that in mind at all, there's a really kind of weird poetry to it now. Um, so that was great. Uh, you know, I did a fun little, uh, well, it's a pretty dark movie, but it was really fun to work on uh, an independent film in Montreal called We're Still Together that I'm really, really proud of. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, again, I've been I've been super lucky. But in terms of like, you know, the big things that I've been working on, I did a movie a year and a half ago called Good Sam, which is also on Netflix. That's a really nice uh, kind of feel-good movie, romantic, um, kind of a you know a mystery story, but a positive one. Uh, so yeah, I, you know, there's been some stuff here and there, and it's kept me afloat. And again, I'm I'm super lucky. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, those are the kind of the bigger things that have happened recently. Is there a difference when you know, you're filming a network show or, or filming a Netflix show, filming a web series. Like, is there a lot of differences when it goes into your, your preparation for the character, um, you know, learning lines, like how the outline of the show, like, is there a, a big difference in, in kind of like the different places the show's going to end up in terms of getting it ready? Do you mean from a performance standpoint? Yeah, or from yeah. like a per- Okay, yeah. Uh, well, I, you know, it's funny. Uh, I, I, I've, I've thought about this and, you know, when I was on less than kind, again, I was, especially at the beginning, very much the, the focal point of the show. My character was sort of the lead of the show. And again, it became more of an ensemble as it went. So the preparation for that and for something like lock and key is different in a bizarre way because on lock and key, my character's much more kind of on the peripheral. I'm a, more of a supporting character. I kind of come in, I get to do really fun stuff and then I get to, kind of leave and I remember going into lock and key my mindset going into it was different than less than kind because oh less than kind I said I said you know I'm really a part of the squad like I need to you know really get in with the writers and gratiate you know uh, the other cast members we've got to be a family and when you know guest stars come in I really want to welcome them to the set uh whereas on lock and key I was like I just don't want to slow them down I want to come in I want to know my lines I I want they're a well-oiled machine at this point I want to come in and I don't want to be like, Oh, who's this new guy. That's like, 
slowing everything down. Whereas I knew less than kind of like, I have time to develop these relationships and what's his quirks, what's my quirks, how does she work? You know, how do they work? All that stuff. But what ended up happening with lock and key was they were so incredibly welcoming to me and so kind and, you know, open to, to everything that I ended up leaving that first day almost as if I had on less than kind. I was like, Oh my God, they've made me feel like part of the family. So it ended up being the same, but th there is a difference usually like when you come in as a guest star or recurring or more supporting, which is, you know, it's not, it's not necessarily about you. So it's like go in, play your part, you know, try to put as much of you as you can into it, but don't slow the process down. And again, yeah, less than kind where I really felt it's like, Oh, there's so much of me in this show that you feel like you've got a little more time to kind of figure out how you want to do things and how you can all work together. So yeah, it's almost like you're setting the pace right. instead of jumping on the moving train. Right. Um, I'm also curious, like what, take us a little bit through the process of, you know, whether it's your own process or, or things you've heard or picked up from, from other actors of getting a character ready um and and when you're ready to finally start like filming and, and getting that on um on on camera what what goes into that because uh, that's something i've always been fascinated about like how do they learn their lines and how do they decipher different elements of this this character's you know personality uh what's a little bit about that process yeah, I mean, obviously it changes from project to project, but I, I can definitely give you uh, some examples. I mean, I, what I try to do always is I try to put as much as myself into it as I can. I try to find whatever I have in common with the character and I try to access that side of me. Like for less than kind, the character's name was Sheldon. Um, Sheldon was much smarter than I am. He's much more book smart than me, but I felt we had similar morals. We had similar principles and you know, I, I, you know, I felt like I'm always the voice of reason. My friend group, Sheldon was the voice of reason. So I was like, okay, I'm going to bring my, not to honk my own horn, I guess, but level headedness to this. Like it's very much me as a problem solver, as a diffuser, you know, that kind of thing. Lock and key, you know, I'm a film nerd and this guy's a film nerd. They're young filmmakers. I love doing that kind of thing. I love making film. And the preparation for less than kind by the end really was just memorizing the lines because you put the costume on, you're with your cast members and you go like, okay, yes, I, I, I cut, you kind of developed two instincts, your instinct and your character's instinct. And less than kind, I was very lucky that they were so closely aligned. Lock and key was pretty similar as well. Uh, what would really help me with lock and key was, as I said, we're a squad we're the Savini squad in the show, getting to set and just sitting with the other actors in the squad, you know, Patrice, Asha, Amelia, and uh, Griffin and kind of just chatting, just joking around with us. It's like, okay, there's our rhythm. There's our rapport. And it just kind of bleeds in and the memorization kind of comes easier because we kind of know each other so well. Um, but there's been trickier ones too. I, I mentioned a project a little while ago called We're Still Together that I did, which is my character is very, very bullied and he's been kicked out of his house and he's wandering the streets of Montreal kind of really depressed. And, you know, as I said, I'm someone who's suffered uh, pretty significantly from anxiety and uh, I guess depression as an extent of that, extension of that, I mean. And that one, I would go to set and it was so weird. I'd listen to the Annie soundtrack and, and like the depressing songs, like the song maybe. And I'd listen to that over and over again and kind of really, you know, bring my energy level down and get to that kind of a darker place. Uh, and then once I got there, I would be able to have some fun on the set because it's like, I brought myself, I can, I can key into it. But before I got there, I had to, 
get myself to that place. So it changes. Sorry, this is a long-winded answer, but it changes project to project. Right. Um, yeah. So I'm, I'm curious if you, if you don't mind talking about the anxiety, because I know it's a touchy subject. Now, I, I myself, I'm, I'm a mental health advocate and speaker. And, you know, I, mm-hmm. I talk a lot about my own story with depression and um, anxiety. Uh, and, uh, you know, a lot of topics uh, with previous episodes have been on mental health as well. So I'm mm-hmm. curious, you know, how do you go about manning, managing your, you know, your anxiety and, and other mental health, you know, things that come up? Um, are you, do you exercise, practice mindfulness, you know, all those different mm-hmm. things that people talk about? Yeah, I mean, I don't always do it very well. Uh, that's the thing, as mm-hmm. I've had, you know, like, uh, my anxiety seems to come in these, like, long spurts. Like, uh, I'll get it for, like, really bad anxiety for, like, six months where I obsess over something, you know. And, uh, you know, for me, it's my anxiety is always about losing control. I'm a very control person, you know. I've had not to freak any of the listeners out, but I've had, you know, I don't know if you know, derealization, depersonalization, yeah. where you feel like you're not in control of your body or you're not, or you're, the world feels foreign. And it's a really kind of terrifying feeling. And, uh, you know, I've had to work during those periods and stuff. And I did extensive therapy. I did CBT. I did uh, stuff like that. And, you know, sometimes it really helps me. Sometimes it doesn't. But what I've always kind of thought to myself is every single time you get bad anxiety, it feels insurmountable and then you get better and then it goes away. Maybe not forever. It'll come back, but you always will have that return to normal. You're like, wow, I feel completely normal again. Um, And I know some people don't experience that. I'm just speaking for myself, but I always do kind of emerge from the other side eventually, whether that's, you know, my mind eventually goes, okay, well, you've been this scared for six months and nothing worse has happened. So your mind kind of just gets used to it. Um, so it's almost self-imposed exposure therapy or, um, yeah, or, or you just, your mind finally starts thinking about other things and you kind of forget about it. I think we do have more control than we think. I do. Obviously there are cases where people, uh, you know, or they're on medication or, you know, they're in therapy ongoing and, you know, not, it's not a simple fix for everyone, but I kind of have learned a bit my patterns, um, but you know, I say that, and then next month I'll develop a new thing, and I'll be like, "No, nah, that's it. I'm screwed forever." <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, it's I don't always balance it well, and there's not for me there isn't a, a hard fix yet. Um, but I, as it is, knowing my pattern has been has been helpful for me. Yeah, no, I I can speak to that as well. Um, one of the big things I do is I I create these like scenarios, and then I I create this like self fulfilling prophecy in my head of. Mm picking up all these things that are going on around me and just adding it to this like false narrative and then build it all up until eventually I just go like, I can't deal with this anymore and I have to deal with it. So I'm curious though, you know, for a lot of us who, you know, I I work in radio, but I work um, in an office and and, not right now, but you know, people, the point is people have an option sometimes to, to, sit back or maybe kind of take a, a day where you just, you don't put a maximum effort in for right. you. Sometimes you don't get that luxury with, with the work you do. So how do you, you know, manage the two where you're expected to be on, but you're also, you know, have those, those anxious feelings and, and things going on in your personal life and they're obviously intertwined. So how do you kind of get around that to give your best work? Yeah, well, you know, it's it's weird. You kind of hit the nail on the head. Um, for me, I, I don't do well with downtime. Mm. 
you know, when I'm not working, which as an actor is usually the case, uh, I sit and I get in my head and I'll start thinking about something like, I'm going to sound crazy, but as an example, I'll reach for something like, oh, wait, that's weird. I just automatically reach for something when I wanted it. Is that my hand? Am I control? And then everything I do is like thinking about it, thinking about it, thinking until I've worked myself up into this frenzy that when you really stop and think about it, it's like, why are you so obsessed about that? Like, it doesn't make, it just go about your day. And then I can't, like I obsess about it. Um, and then it feeds into losing control. Like I'm a bad flyer. I don't like getting on planes. Uh, you know, I'm always worried about losing my mind, losing control of my body or whatever it is. Um, so for me, when I do get work, I will really look forward to it. Cause when I'm on set, you're thinking about a thousand different things and you're going about it. Um, but there have been times of course, where I've worked myself up so much that, uh, that, you know, you have trouble concentrating. And I pride myself that I've always been able to kind of, you know, uh, put on a face and deliver. Uh, but, it, you know, it's not always easy. But for me, it's the busier, the better. Because eventually, when you've got so much to think about, uh, this, is, this is fun. Sometimes I've been so obsessed about something, it's all I can think about in a negative way. Like I wake up, I'm thinking about it. I go to bed thinking about it. And I'll be doing something. And somebody will ask me to do something. And I'll forget about it for like even 30 seconds. I'll, you know, like help me pick this up. And I'll go, wait a minute. For that 30 seconds, I was okay. I didn't even think about my anxiety. I was normal again. If I can do that, I can make that the new normal. Um, so yeah, I don't really know if I'm answering your question, but you know, it's for me, it's the busier, the better. The more you can get your mind off things, the better. It's a bit of avoidance sometimes, which I'm not sure serves me in the long run. But that's why, you know, it's, it's a learning curve. I'm still like, as I go, I'm, I'm kind of uh, learning. I have a horrible phobia of outer space. If I think about outer space too much, mm -hmm. I freak out. Yeah. Uh, it's another control thing, you know, that you're just on this planet in the middle of this vast thing. Yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, I'm, a, I'm, I'm, a, I'm an odd duck, but I'm, I, I wear my quirks. I don't embarrass. I'm willing to, always willing to talk about it. Yeah. Um, but no, I, I definitely haven't perfected it, but I feel like I've gotten better. Yeah, that that's interesting in the, the space because um, I remember I had um, an astrophysicist on and we were, we were talking about it. And I was like, do you ever get that existential dread, you know, that you're studying galaxies and these things like happening way out and learning all about the universe and like that must just be like very profound. And she said, it actually makes me appreciate being on Earth more and like living yeah. my life because even though everything does seem insignificant in a way, when you look at it like that, it just makes me living my life the way I want to, like that much more special. And I kind of gave it like a little bit different, different perspective on, on that. But I, I can, I can see where you're going with it for sure when it comes to the anxiety. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, 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 it's not fun, but uh, you know, I always say if I could go back and change it, I'm not, I'm not sure I would because I think going through those things is actually helpful in the long run. It's not fun. And sometimes you feel like you lost time in your life being so enveloped in something that when you, when you look at it on paper seems silly, but you know, I think it, uh, every experience enriches you in some way. Yeah, absolutely. Um, getting back to a little bit more of the, the acting, uh, is there a certain genre that you kind of like to gravitate towards to more? Um, I can imagine, you know, as an audience, as a, as an audience member that, even though horror scares me, like, I think that would be pretty fun to, to shoot, you know, with all the blood mm -hmm. and gore and all those different things, as opposed to comedy, which would seem much more like regular day life. Is there something that, like, you kind of find yourself gravitating towards a little bit more in terms of, not the final product, but the actual process of, 
of shooting a it. shot and doing it. Yeah, I mean, it's so ingrained in me. I, there, there is an answer to this, but it's so ingrained in me as an actor that, you know, beggars can't be choosers. Anything I get, I'm thrilled with. But, but you know, in terms of like the funnest stuff for me, you know, growing up, I was a huge fan of shows like Lost. And uh, as I said, uh, you know, Stranger Things is pretty new, but Stranger Things. So really working on something like Lock and Key was like, a dream come true for me. There's this great sequence we do in the show where we're trapped in these caves and water's flooding. And I got to go and see this cool set and go, Oh my God, I'm in the Goonies. Like I'm in, you know, I'm in these movies I used to watch. Like this is a scene that I would watch and go, oh, I wish I was there shooting that. So this show is very much like that, but horror too. You're right. You get to see how the sausage is made. You know, I did a movie where I got literally crucified on the side of a barn. Oh, wow. And like, <laughs> that was like super fun to do. Like, uh, you know, and, and I never would have expected that. Um, I do enjoy comedy. Uh, I like improvising. But again, like, you know, I kind of love all, like, there's something fun in, in everything. Drama's fun because, you know, you get to do scenes where you get mad and lose your shit and, mm. or, you know, break down crying. And it's sometimes it can be a pain to get there. But once you're in that place and you, and you do it and you hear cut, you know you nailed it. It's such a rewarding mm. uh, feeling. And the, that comes with all genres. But, I would say I really do love those kind of big mythology fantasy kind of things like Lock and Key or Stranger Things or Lost. Those are the big things with the big mysteries. Those are the things that really always intrigued me as a kid. Right. So now, now, now I'm curious, just indulge me for a second. How hard or easy is it to make yourself like actually like a blubbering mess, you know, like a hysterical cry, like to get there? Is that like an actual difficult thing to, to do? It takes practice or... It's so funny. For the longest time, if I was home alone, and I don't mean this in any kind of depressed anxiety way, I could look in the mirror and within seconds I could have tears in my eyes. I'm like, oh my God, I'll nail it. But then when I'm on set and the cameras are rolling and the crew is exhausted and you've been there for 14 hours and they're like, they're like, all right. And then so, so they're going to talk and then you're going to burst into tears and you're like, oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Let's do it. And you just can't do it. So it's, it's sometimes it's easy. Sometimes it's hard. And like, it's, it's, for me, I've always kind of struggled to make myself like cry. Um, but, you know, the again, one of the leads in Lock and Key, this amazing actress named Amelia Jones, who plays uh, one, of the, one of the members of the family, uh, we had to do this scene where she has to come in and it's got to be a joke. We're making a fake horror movie in the show. And she's got to be like kind of a bad actress and like blah, blah, blah. And then something happens and she's actually got to break down like kind of crying. And I remember saying to myself, I was like, that's brutal. Because before the take, you have to get yourself to a place where you're almost crying and then be happy and fake for the first 45 seconds of the take and then burst into tears. And she killed it every time. And I don't think I could do that. I just don't see Maybe, maybe I could. I just don't see it now. And I would ask her and she's like, oh, I just, you know, I, I, I pictured this. I just did that in my head. I'm like, you're a rocket scientist to me. Like, that's just genius. And there's many actors that can do it. It's uh I can do an emotional scene if the scene starts emotional. Mm. Uh, if you've got to be normal for like two minutes and then cry, it's, it's tricky for me. I, I'd love to really try to get there. I haven't ha- had to do it yet, but um, yeah, it'd be interesting. It's, it's, it can be tough. Yeah. Yeah. It's always one of those things you think about that. So, so you're saying like some people will like bring themselves to almost tears before the, the they start filming. So you're kind of like already on mm-hmm. that verge. Like it, it, it's, yeah, like they'll get themselves to where they're almost like, yeah, I guess they're, they're about to explode and, they've, and they can pretend for about a minute and then let those emotions out. 
it's almost like opening up the floodgates, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but for me, it's almost like it's coming and it's coming now. So that's it. It's, it's going to come now or, you know, or it's going to come and it's going to look kind of fake. Um, I'm sure, again, I'm sure there is a secret sauce that I could figure out, but mm. it, it still evades me right now. Yeah. What's, what's the like dream? Um, you know, is it, you know, you said your mom's in theater, you know, your dad's been in a bunch of movies. Um, like if, if I gave you the magic wand and I said, okay, here you go, Jesse, you can pick where you're going to go and who you work with in the movies. Like what's, what's kind of like the ideal path that uh, like you'd want to take? Uh, well, I'll, I'll kind of give you two. I'll say like uh, the, the realistic one and then, you know, the crazy fantasy. Mm. Uh, honestly, if I'm working on shows like Lock and Key on a consistent level for the rest of my life and I'm making my rent and a little extra to have some fun with friends, I'm happy. I don't need to be the biggest celebrity in the world. I'm totally cool with that. If I'm making something quality that's really fun and I don't have to worry about work, mm. that's the, that, that, then I'm, I'm a happy person. You know, I, 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 don't, I don't need to win the Oscar. You know, uh, and also, I just, I'm, I'm not sure I'm at that level. So it's like, you know, I'm fine with that. Obviously, if we want to go crazy, yeah, I'd love to be, you know, you talk about like the who's the biggest star in the world right now when you think of amazing actors like Saoirse Ronan or, you know, big movie stars like Will Smith, you know, that would be really, really cool. Mm -hmm. I just don't know if I'm really the right mold for that kind of thing. Uh, But if I guess I had a magic wand, maybe I'd make it happen for myself and hope that I would, you know, remember all my humility and try to help out people that are maybe more talented that didn't get the magic wand. But yeah, I mean, I'm a pretty simple guy. I'd just love to have consistent work and, uh, Mm -hmm. You know, especially on a television show format, I really like the camaraderie you build with the cast. Um, so yeah, those are the two. Like one's the kind of basic one, and yeah, the other one I've got all the Oscars and yeah. I can make my own movies and all that fun stuff. Working with Leo and Christopher Nolan and, and all exactly. Those yeah. <laughs> um, I, I'm curious. You know, when you're you're trying to get a part, I'm wondering now in this this new kind of world that we live in with, you know, content creators on YouTube and influencers on Instagram and Twitter and all those different things. Do do those things come into account when you're when you're looking for work? Like are producers and writers like scrolling through your Twitter and seeing if you you're making jokes or, you know, like building a following and all those types of things. Like does that does that come into play when when you or other actors are trying to, to land a gig? I definitely think it, it can. Um, I, I, do, I do, again, think it's, it's producer or project specific. Uh, I genuinely believe, you know, like you listed someone like Christopher Nolan. I mean, obviously he's, a, he's such a, one of the greatest directors around, but I don't think somebody like him cares. You know, I don't mm-hmm. think if it's between me and a guy with 10 million Twitter followers, that's going to be the deciding factor for him. I actually think it's more of a thing on smaller projects, projects that are um, not, not, not low, low budget, but are kind of in the middle range where they want that extra thing to kind of push them over the edge. Uh, I do know a friend of mine uh, lost out on a role because someone else had more Instagram followers than her, or that was the reason she was given. But again, you know, it's all very political. So it, it does play a factor in some projects. I, I wouldn't say it's the most consistent thing though. I think, for the most part, people want the best person they want for the job. Um, but, you know, it, it, I'll tell you this, it definitely doesn't hurt to have a huge following. Yeah. Do you feel like there's a pressure as an actor, like you said, that, you know, you, you're not always working, um, that 
trying to build, you know, working as like a more of a branding exercise for yourself to build these followings? Like, do you feel a pressure for yourself to try to, I don't know, I don't know if you have a podcast or a YouTube channel or anything like that, but in the back of your mind, is that ever sitting there? Like, you're like, oh, I really should and try to build myself up and maybe make some money that way or, or expand my, my reach and, and my kind of repertoire. It's funny, actually, I was thinking about uh, my friend, uh, a good friend of mine, Erica, and I we were talking about maybe doing a, a podcast. Problem is, we just weren't sure what we were going to talk about. So once we crack that code, maybe. Um, you know, it is something I've thought about. And I think, again, there's some laziness and self-deprecation in here. But I've kind of thought to myself, I was like, well, you're, you're not going to be the guy with 40 million followers, you know, based on just what you were given. And maybe I'm being way too hard on myself. But I was like you know, just take fun pictures that you like and maybe make a couple of people laugh and post those. Um, but I do think it's something that you, that, that I need to give more thought to. And I think people should too, because it, you know, you are creating a base and anything can help you. And, uh, you know, some people like shade, you know, Instagram models and people like that. And I'm like, Hey man, if they like what they're doing and they're making a living, do it. You know, uh, I just, I guess I, I don't yet have the confidence or the, uh, idea of what my thing is you know of what my kind of uh, besides making a couple self-deprecating jokes or taking a goofy photo i'm like i don't really know what the theme of my page is right. um but uh, it's definitely something that i've thought about and something that i think i should look into at some point yeah well you know you're you're communicate well very articulate um i i, I laugh that it's you know don't know what to talk about it's like the key is is like i never know what i'm going to talk about either i just like listen to people and then you ask I, the right questions yeah and then i try to like just you know i always like to think of it as just having a little conversation with somebody like as if we were just out for a beer or, or grabbing coffee and i'm like jesse mm -hmm. tell me about your life what's going on what's happening and trying to get it at that angle and give a more humanistic view instead of those like quick punchlines that you kind of get on like et canada or something right. like that rehearsed kind of script yeah, like, oh, talking better yeah right exactly i would work on this till i did yeah uh no for sure uh, 100 and and that's the thing is that you know I've, I've never had a problem uh not having anything to say so uh, i'm sure once i do once uh, you know i finally break through that little barrier uh eric and i will lay something down i'll be like okay I, this could happen so it, again it's probably a bit of laziness to you but it, it's gonna happen we're gonna get to it mm. so i mean other than acting is there other things that you're you're very passionate about things that you, you know, you love to do, explore, learn about anything like that. Uh, well, I am, you know, it is a lot of uh, creative stuff. I do, you know, it's just a world I love to swim in, like whether it's movie or television. So I, you know, I enjoy writing as well. I'm not a great writer, um, but I've always really enjoyed writing. I also like, again, you know, like uh, I love conversing with people, having, well-mannered debates you know uh mm. so that that kind of thing you know but i, I am a creator I, lo I love reading you know it's not been uh, again what i'm about to say uh, this is hardly the worst thing in the world in any way but it's been a tough couple of weeks to be a major harry potter fan and i oh, grew up yeah. as a major harry potter fan and it's been uh, like i swear to god this room behind me is full of harry potter memorabilia like it was defined my childhood so it's been a rough couple of weeks uh for that you know kind of trying to sort through what's there for that. What's the cutoff for that. But that was like a huge passion of mine growing up. Like I was obsessed with those books and I like went to the 
midnight, you know, releases and I went to all the movies and I still love that world. And it's like, where, what are you left with now? You know, cause obviously I very much disagree with the things being said uh, by, you know, by, by JK Rowling, but you know, I'm like, I think it's bigger than her now in my mind. It's like her story. She's, she's given it to the world. So I do think that there is still room for us to like that world and those stories while kind of distancing from point of views that we don't really agree with. Yeah. Um, that's interesting. I, um, last week, or I guess it was just the weekend. Um, I went to for coffee with someone who is a huge, huge Harry Potter fan. Um, but she's also mm-hmm. like very involved in the LGBT community and kind of speaking out yeah. about it. And, uh, we, we went for coffee because she, she had to like take a break from social media because it was so hard on her and she was just like yeah. looking for advice. So I can imagine you know, for tons of people, that's a good, it brings up a good question though. And it's kind of a deep one, but mm-hmm. like separating the artist from the art, do you think that's possible? I've always struggled with that kind of dilemma. And like you said, when it comes to JK Rowling, who, yeah gave us this world but also she was the creator like you know mm-hmm. do you think it's possible to, to to be able to separate the two and not have it be problematic well i, I yeah again i think it is sort of a case-by-case basis um, and and you know just by saying that i'm already aware that i'm sure there's unconscious bias that i'm throwing myself into you know like I used to say about um, somebody like uh, Kevin Spacey, mm. uh, you know, it's like, can I still watch his movies and, and enjoy what he did? Maybe. Do I think he should be able to make more? No. That's sort of where I was like, whatever's out there is out there. Um, but, you know, uh, would I be cool with him working more? I'm like, I don't think so. Like, uh, I think that's, you know, obviously somebody like Harvey Weinstein is a total write-off, like talk about the lowest of the low. But, you know, I still find, I'll watch movie, I'm like, oh, crap, produced by Harvey Weinstein. And I'm like, well, I, I, I love this movie. Like, you know, so it's, uh, it's tough, you know, uh, it's tough. So I guess my rule, and again, this is just me, and I'm wrong way more than I'm right, is, you know, I think if something's out there and it's been released and it's been out in the world for long and you still can watch it and enjoy it. I don't think you should feel guilty about that. But I think that, you know, a lot of these people shouldn't get to do more. Right. But that, again, that's just me. Yeah. No, no, I got that. And it's funny you bring up Kevin Spacey because I loved Kevin Spacey and movies. Like when watching House mm-hmm. of Cards, like I yeah. loved that show and American Beauty and, you know, when that happened, yeah, I had that exact same. I'm like, is it is it okay? Or like comedians, you know, when you think of uh, Louis C.K. or more recently mm-hmm. Chris D'Elia, like, or you know, really, you know, really bad Bill Cosby, like you know, Cosby, all these people. Yeah, yeah. You know, is it is it still okay to go back? I I don't know, and I think it it is very subjective. And I always, mm-hmm. no, I, I have deep conversations like this with people, whether it's on race or, or on all these things. Mm-hmm. I think, you know. I always, like you said, I, that bias that I always come through it and the lens of looking at it as a, as a white, you know, straight white male. And yeah, exactly. So yeah, my opinion is probably wrong half the time on, on a lot of things just because I don't have the experience and I'm not the person who's being attacked on anything. And Right. I go through the same thing where I'm like, it's, you know, I'm not the one to be offended. So it's like, 
you know, I, I, I could say, like, I believe this comment's offensive and I would never say it and I don't agree with it, but it's not, you know, it's not directed at me. And I think, to, again, you know, where, where do we draw the line? You know, those guys that we mentioned, they're, what they did was very predatory. You know, whereas someone like J.K. Rowling, it's more frustratingly ignorant to me. It's like, I, I think that this is someone who's been very uh, evidently capable of a lot of empathy and affection and, you know, has donated to charities and stuff. It's like, how can you be so ignorant in this area? Like, do you not see this and obviously she's had experiences that i don't wish on anyone and it's maybe kind of you know uh brought her to where she is today but you know it, it, it that to me is more sad because somebody again when you talk about the harvey weinsteins or people like that it's like well you're just you know there's nothing to say to you really yeah you're kind of the lowest of the low but jk Rowling, you're like how how do you, how do you have this blind spot like you know so it's it's just it, i think it's, it's different cases but you know, I, I can still appreciate the work, I guess. Um, but I, I, I do think about it and I struggle with it. Mm-hmm. Do you, you know, I know, I know we just like talked about this, but when, you know, I, I think uh, when we talk about like the, the Black Lives Matter movement and, and people showing solidarity and, and everything like that, just as an example, but, you know, as an actor, as someone mm-hmm. who's recognizable, uh, who has, you know, a platform, do you feel, mm-hmm. you know, a responsibility to to speak up for injustices, uh, whether that's through interviews or social media, um, or is it something you're like get a little nervous because you're like I don't want to say the wrong thing and you know get quote unquote canceled or or, or you know, right. in trouble or anything or it's like it's a very touchy ground, but a lot of people kind of have an expectation people with a larger platform speak out about it. Yeah, How does and, it- you know and. Yeah, and especially me coming from a place of, you know, privilege, right? Mm. Uh, uh, I do feel, um, you know, responsibility is a good word for it, but it's also, I believe, you know, it's, it's, I guess, my morals or my opinion that it's just right to speak up about this stuff and just show your full-fledged support to it. Yeah, there's definitely nervousness about, you know, saying the wrong thing. I remember the day that uh, everyone was posting the black squares on Instagram and then you know, that was this really great thing to do, like literally at the beginning of the day. And then like, a couple hours later, people were like, actually, this is not helping at all. It's actually maybe doing more harm than good. Mm. Uh, you know, and I was just trying to play catch up. And then I said, you know, maybe I'll just sit back and read and listen and get informed. And then, you know, when I did that, I was like, oh, I feel really guilty being silent here. I really want to speak up and show my support. But, you know, again, that, you know, small battle in my head is so secondary to what people are actually going through that I was like, you know what? This is so not about me at all. Again, I'm a very, uh, come from a place of privilege. So it's like, you know, uh, put out your support in any way you can. And if you say the wrong thing a little bit, but your intentions are good, most people will see that and you can correct yourself. And I've been lucky uh, so far in that, uh, you know, I'm just kind of following the lead of people that I think are so much more well-informed than I am. Uh, and you know showing my support that way and you know my actions are gonna speak louder than my words but i hope to continue to be vocal in showing my support i think a lot of things that are going on are are uh, it's unfortunate that things happened that caused it but i'm glad the conversations are being had i think it's it's really good and i i'm hopeful that we're going to see some lasting change uh the industry i think is making you know in the 
arts industry, the acting world, I think is really starting to make the right moves. And, you know, I, there are people out there that complain that the pendulum is swinging too much in the other direction. That's a price I'm willing to pay. It's not even a price to me. It's yeah, let's do it. Let's, you know, let's, let's overcorrect. Mm-hmm. And then instead of swinging back the other way, we'll swing into a middle ground and we'll be in a fair, diverse place. But if we have to really push it right now, I think that's a great thing. And uh, I'm in full support of that. Yeah, it was, and it was kind of a perfect storm with, you know, everyone being cooped up in, in COVID and then having the yeah. blow up and then all the subsequent things that have happened afterwards that have kind of kept adding fuel to the fire. I know, I know me working in, in the media industry, lots of things are changing and you see, mm-hmm. you see, well, you see a lot of shows now, especially uh, voice actors, which is quite controversial with controversial to one side at least that you know people like Alison Brie and um mm-hmm. she was I can't remember her, her name but she was in Big Mouth um yeah. you know they're stepping down from Jenny, Jenny Marbles I believe right Jenny Marbles but she was the YouTuber who uh oh okay okay yeah. I thought she was I thought she I was can't remember her and, name but um anyways you know people I, are white women or, or white men are stepping down from even voice acting mm-hmm. roles for yeah representation um in in media and, and in film and it's something I've definitely yeah. been learning. Uh, why? It's yeah, important. and you know, my 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 father's uh, my father's a voice director. You know, so uh, uh, I, you know, I, I get that world a little bit. And you know, uh, my opinion, and I'll, I'll once once I get this whole thought out, I think people understand. My opinion always been in voice, you can kind of be whatever you want. Like to me, it, it you know it it should be the voice is the place where you should be allowed to play different cultures and all that fun stuff. Having said that. I think what's happening now is good and needs to happen because there just isn't uh, the door isn't open for these diverse, very talented actors to get in. So I do think what's going on now is necessary because it's like you give those people the, the chance to come in and show how talented they are. And then again, and then at some point you can have people playing everybody, but there'll be a diverse collection of voice actors doing it. Like I thought Mike Henry who played Quagmire on uh, Quagmire Cleveland on family guy was great. He was awesome. But I totally agree with his decision because he's like, let's give someone the chance to do this and then we'll see how talented they are. And then maybe this, this a black actor can play a white guy and, you know, and then, and then we can all go back to everyone playing everybody. But right now I think it's, it's, it's the right thing to do. Yeah. That, that's a good point. Opening the door and like letting people in. Mm-hmm. Um, listen, man, I really appreciate you joining me. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much. Um, I know it's been a, yeah, thanks really- for having me. It's been a weird time, uh, especially for, for actors as I've beginning to learn the past couple of interviews. If people want to follow you on social media, um, you know, find some of your work, where can they, where can they search that? Yeah. Um, so I'm on uh, Twitter and Instagram right now. As I said, I don't really have my identity down yet, but there's some fun <laughs> stuff on there. So at Twitter, I'm at, at Jesse115115. I'm a big Survivor fan, so you'll see a lot of hot takes on Survivor mm-hmm. on there. Uh, and then on Instagram, I'm Jesse JD Camacho and there's some fun lock and key behind the stuff there and pictures of me, you know, doing stupid stuff with my double chin and stuff. So you'll, uh, you'll have some, <laughs> that's where, that's where I'm at right now. Um, yeah. So, and definitely check out lock and key on Netflix, uh, yes, right please. now season one's out. And, uh, as we heard here first, uh, season two might be coming, uh, sooner rather than later, hopefully once everything starts to open up. Jesse Camacho, my friend, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Take care. Thanks for having me. Let's do it again soon.
take the red pill. You stay in Wonderland. 